Live from Cape Town, this is the Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to the airwaves of the voice of the cap if you've just tuned in on 91.3 FM stereo 89.8 90.9 95.8 as well as www.vlcfm.co.za my name is uh, Muhammad Fasih Peterson standing in from IT Ashalatu on this Monday morning and of course uh, this time of the week in the relief network we once again focus on Islamic relief and uh, co-hosting with me this morning Shanaz Ibrahim Giri Shanaz assalamu alaikum wa alaikum and how are you doing uh, on this cool, I uh, must say, some uh, blessed rain fell for the last couple of days and uh, today hopefully we're hopeful for some more. Inshallah, I hope so. Alhamdulillah, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm kind of like recovering from a bout of flu, but I think it's just been a change of climate, but, uh, but the rain is always good. Indeed, indeed. And of course, uh, later on we'll be talking about your trip through uh, East Africa and your experiences there. Just uh, on that point, on that note, um, before we get started, I'm curious, you know, in South Africa we've been experiencing some drought, particularly in the Western Cape. Um, has that been, you know, the same in, uh, in those parts of East Africa that you have traveled? Have you seen the same kind of climate uh, changes or cu- the effects of climate change? Definitely. The focus of um, my deployment to East Africa has been as a result of um, the El Nino effect in Ethiopia and then drought and famine in other parts of East Africa like South Sudan and Somalia. So um, a lot of my work re- was related to how Islamic Relief was responding to um, communities that's been affected by drought. I've seen some scary you know, stories of you know, animals that's been so um, em- emaciated and weak that they you know, there was carcasses of animals on, on the side of the roads as we were driving, you know, between villages and, and projects. So um, a lot of my, um, the in the next hour, inshallah, we'll be sharing a lot of those stories and um, case studies. And we're hoping to link up with some of our team members in South Sudan and in Nairobi that will actually give us an update on, you know, what's currently happening over there. Inshallah. And if you'd like to comment on the show, ask any questions, you can SMS us 47913. I'll turn to that, uh, 0722380712. Our WhatsApp is up and running. Or you can go into Facebook, VSC's Facebook, and uh, comment there, inshallah. I mean. Well, instead with us now for the first hour, and uh, that, I- that will be for the Nasiha part of our program is none other than Sheikh Ibrahim Charles, a face I haven't seen in a long time except on social media and uh, he's been doing some good work uh, in the last while. Uh, he's an Islamic scholar and uh, yeah, former, former, I think, uh, you know, a media person at uh, Islamic Relief. Uh, uh, Sheikh, assalamu alaikum and welcome to the show. Alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and assalamu alaikum to all the listeners out there as well. Sheikh, uh, subhanAllah, uh, we're in the month of Ramadan and this is where we become, you know, a little bit more concentrated in our spirituality and uh, our thought, uh, thoughts really fall to those people who are least, uh, least fortunate than us, particularly in the month of Ramadan when we start to become motivated about our fitra and our fidya and we start to think about the poor. Um, today we'll be speaking about zakah, which is something that obviously many of us don't really think about during the month of Ramadan, but it's an important aspect, uh, I think. So... Uh, we also be we will be uh, also focusing, I believe, broadly on on the recipients, some of the recipients of zakah, inshallah. I mean, so yeah, Sheikh, uh, fight the father, inshallah. 
أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم All praise and all thanks is due to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we ask him in his infinite wisdom and mercy to place his blessings and salutations upon our beloved Prophet Muhammad صلى الله عليه وسلم his family, his companions, his friends and all those who follow him till the day of Qiyamah Subhanallah, you know we are in the month of Ramadan and it's amazing that we're in the last portion of the month of Ramadan and Subhanallah, last night you know, in the masajid, we, we heard that people start greeting Ramadan. You know, just to indicate that, it, that uh, Ramadan is completing. And um, subhanAllah, this just gives us an indication that we need to hasten towards doing even greater, greater things in the last portion of the month of Ramadan. Um, and before we actually get into zakah and the different types of charities that we can find, um, uh, you know, it's amazing how, you know, when you read the Qur'an, you find different, you know, and amazing stories within the Qur'an. You know, amazing bits of advice. And the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, phrases um, charity in the Qur'an, you know, is all such a, it places it in such a beautiful manner. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, for example, in Surah Al-Baqarah, He says, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم He says, من ذا الذي يقرد الله قرضا حسنا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls the charity and he, and he asks, you know, who of, who of you, you know, will give Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a loan? You know, th- th- this sounds very strange. Who, you know, why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala need a loan? And then he, he, um, he describes that loan and he says a beautiful loan. And um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, before we get into it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that if he does this, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will pay this person back in adhafan kathira many times over. And subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls it you know, a loan because you know, on the day of Qiyamah we will get a return on that loan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will pay that back to us, but He'll do it in, you know, in, 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 in an even more beautiful manner. And subhanAllah, this is what we want in the month of Ramadan. This is what, what we want from our lives. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala just doesn't call it just a charity. He knows how, how we work, you know, how our minds work. We want something in return. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promises that, the, that He will give a great return on that. So subhanAllah, we can see it's not just a one-way thing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always gives us back as well. Um, and, and then also, you know, that feeling that you get when you actually give to someone, you know, that, that, uh, the way that that feeling is reciprocated when the person is, says thank you, or that just that good feeling that you get, that also is an indication of, you know, how you benefit from, from giving. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in another ayah, also in Surah Baqarah, um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses the believers specifically. And many of the, the companions have said, whenever we hear the, the words, Ya amanu, know that after it comes something that is of great benefit to you know, to get benefit to us. So whenever we hear these words, you know, listen attentively. Allah subhanahu says, أَنْفِقُوا مِمَّا رَزَقَنَاكُمْ That give of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed you with. And this just shows that we need to be humble when it comes to our wealth. You know, we shouldn't just be, you know, arrogant and say, look, I've earned these things. Instead, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given it to you. How many people do, don't we know that have, you know, they have degrees, they've worked hard, but they don't have any jobs or they're in debt. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed you with that wealth. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Anfiqu, that give off of this wealth. Min qabli before a, a specific day comes. Uh, la bay'un fihi wa la khullatu wa la shafa'a. 
that um, on this day, right, there will be no, no, um, no more trading will take place. And the trading over here that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refers to over here is the trading of, of good deeds. You know, we know deeds will benefit you. And there won't be any, any partnerships or there won't be any intercession. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, so we should give before this day comes. And we don't know, you know, when this will happen. How many people haven't passed away? How many janaz and notices hasn't voice of the cape given in the month of Ramadan? So we don't know, you know, how long we still have. So we need to give off of what we have while we still can. Uh, we have Islamic Relief in studio with us and uh, uh, we talk about all things related to Islamic Relief and their projects uh, in the community. This uh, this morning I'm joined by Shanaz Ibrahim Giri uh, co-presenting with me and then uh, we have uh, Sheikh Ibrahim Charles from Islamic Relief. Uh, he will be uh, still expanding on the Aspect of zakah, uh, focusing on orphans and vulnerable children. Uh, you're welcome to send your SMSs on 47913 or on uh, 0722380712. Sheikh, before the break, you were expanding broadly on this topic and uh, our responsibilities in light of, of, of the vulnerable. Um, just a question, maybe, uh, if we look at uh, Obviously, once again, because of the month of Ramadan, we use that context. Uh, the understanding of is this a good time for us to prepare, uh, you know, to pay zakah, or is it a good time for us to pay zakah in this month? Uh, is it appropriate for us to do so, uh, or at least to uh, find, you know, in, at least to to make the intention, inshallah, to be able to do so. Okay. Yes, um, you know, before the break, we, we spoke a bit about charity and the way Allah SWT addresses charity and the different types, the different forms. And um, this is a, the month of a specific type of zakah, zakatul fitr, which is paid near close to the end of, of Ramadan. And uh, But generally, people pay the zakah, you know, within this month as well. People start thinking about zakah. But what is zakah? Zakah means an namu wa ziyada, right? Which basically means to, it, it refers to growth and how we can enrich people. You know, through through our money, and um, Subhanallah, it also refers to to you know to cleansing, and we know that the reward for zakatul fitr or the purpose of it is um, where we pay zakat to you know that so that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala can overlook many of the mistakes that we've made in the month of Ramadan, and when it comes to actual zakat, you know we see that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala also cleanses our actions, our mistakes that we've made you know throughout our lives. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala you know um, overlooks those those things. So, um, how is zakah referred to in the Quran? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, He refers to zakah as sadaqat, as your charity that you give, a specific charity. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, mentions the categories. He says, And as we go down, we can see that these are the most vulnerable people within society. The, whether it's people that are poor or needy, or whether it's uh, people who are in debt, um, or whether people who work with zakah. Right, who actually have to go out and you know ask people for money, which is not always an easy task to do, you know, to go around and asking people for for their wealth. So um, these pe- these are the people who are entitled to zakah, and uh, maybe it, you know it's it's for us to think about these individuals in society, not just to you know you know just pay the money, but actually think about these vulnerable individuals in society. How can we uplift them? Because this is what the purpose of zakah actually is.
Now, um, we spoke about, uh, we're speaking about zakah broadly, but obviously focusing on zakah to fitr because that is the theme for this month. Mm-hmm. Um, and the importance of paying it early. Um, I asked this question some time ago to someone else, but I think it bears, you know, ask, asking again uh, in the sense that we as a community, we wait for the video last moment, and uh, many of us are guilty, I think, to the point of waiting till the imam is uh, finished with the, the aid uh, proceedings and then going out to the imam. Can you just take my, my, my fitr as well? That's happened before. It's happened yeah. a lot. So, so um, the importance of us uh, paying it early uh, and the significance of paying it uh, in light of uh, um, either day or rain. Subhanallah. You know that um, you know when it comes to hasting towards doing good, uh, there's an amazing ayah that was read a few a few nights ago, uh, where Allah Subhanahu you know He speaks um, about um, the. The, the different religions, the, the people that came before us and the mistakes that they made. And he said that only a few of them have been saved. And then he mentions these, he says, he says Laisu sawa'a. not all of them are, are equal. You know, not, some of them are actually really good. And uh, the quality that he mentions about those individuals who are good, right, is that they hasten towards doing good. And subhanAllah, this is the month where we should definitely hasten. Um, Ibn al-Jawzi says that uh, he gives the analogy of a racehorse. And uh, he says that, you know, um, it is the, the habit of a racehorse to, you know, to, when, once he's running the race, he exerts himself in the last portion. So he says in the month of Ramadan, you know, we should hasten, you know, in the last portion of Ramadan. So we have but a few days left, a few moments left in the month of Ramadan. So, you know, start thinking about your zakat al-fitr. What am I going to do with it? Where am I going to pay it? Which organization am I going to take it to? And, um, and not only that, what other charities can I give during this month of Ramadan? You know, these are the last, we're heading into the last 10 days, 10 nights of Ramadan, the best of nights. So subhanAllah, this is the time when we should, you know, make that effort. I think also, um, if we talk about sadaqah, for instance, or zakah, or any, aspe- any aspect uh, of our deen where we are required to give or asked to give, or uh, it's good for us to do so, um, Whenever we have to give out money, we feel, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, uh, uncomfortable about it or the fact that we feel there's going to be a certain loss uh, within our, within our, you know, income. Um, and the reality is, if we spoke, we spoke now about uh, Zakat al-Fitr particularly. It's, an, it's, it's, an, it's a way to, uh, should I say, um, make whole your, uh, your, your ibadah in a sense, to, for Allah subhanahu to overlook your faults. Uh, zakat is to cleanse your wealth in a sense, as mm. people would say. So, and Sadaqah ov- obviously also uh, to bring Barakah into your life and ask that and in the same sense that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, through Sadaqah, um, you know, alleviates and keeps, 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 you know, calamities away from us. So certainly, uh, whenever we give out, it's not necessary for any other reason that Allah subhanahu wa benefits us through that and so hmm. Subhanallah, and, and you know, we, we're living in a, in, in, in a time where people are filled with a lot of stress, a lot of grief, um, you know, the work, uh, whether it's work stress, home stress, a lot of people are stressed out. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That those individuals who give, you know, whether it is, uh, you know, in the, during the day or at night or, you know, whichever time they give, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, He says that for them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a special reward. You know, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, wala khawfun alayhim, and on them there's no grief and no stress, wala hum yahsanun. And there's no sadness, sadness and despair that comes to these individuals. So if you're looking for an opportunity in your life to relieve stress or to, you know, uh, perfect your life in, 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 in many ways, 
then Sadaqa is the option for you. We're talking to Sheikh Ibrahim Charles, I'm also joined by Shanaz Ibrahim Giri, my co-host, the communications manager at Islamic Relief. And we've been speaking about Zakah, orphans and vulnerable children. That's uh, our topic for this first hour. Um, I, I just want to then now tie this into, um, you know, obviously we are speaking about Islamic Relief and in, in the involvement uh, in, in these various aspects of uh, um, of uh, uh, Zakah, Fitrah and all of these things. So I want to talk about, um, and Shanaz maybe, if I can, if I can draw you in for a moment. Um, we, when we talk about this distribution of zakah, uh, who's, who's first in line when, when you know, when Islamic Relief, uh, you know, does go out and, and distribute uh, people's zakah and fitrah? Who, who do they target, and who's, who do they feel is the most affected in our community that they would like to distribute that zakah to? Um, I know, um, Fasihti, it's, you know, there's obviously like various interpretations in terms of like, you know, who is, um, who qualifies for zakat. Um, when it comes to Islamic Relief, I think uh, what they tend to do is they tend to actually try and identify the most, uh, those most in need in communities. Um, often um, on a more practical, if you, if you want to think of it practically, um, it's, um, and if it comes to Ramadan, it's often those areas that's most affected when it comes to either a flood that, that like we've seen in the last week with storms and things like that. So you're, you're looking at orphans and vulnerable children, you're looking at the elderly, you're looking at those um, people who are unemployed, um, those people who do not have a basic um, income to sustain themselves and their families. Um, Sheikh, I don't know if you perhaps want to um, elaborate a little bit further on that. Well, um, you know, subhanAllah, you know, if, if, if you look at um, the way the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu was, was comforted himself um, in, the, in the famous Surah Duha, speaks about um, Aitam in uh, the orphans. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, first reminds him, Alam fa'awa. Did I not find you an orphan and then, you know, comfort you and place things around you, place support structures around you. And then afterwards, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke about, you know, his financial, you know, um, uh, position later on in life. So that definitely, you know, um, speaks to, you know, that orphans are definitely, you know, uh, a vulnerable portion of the society and they should be taken care of first. Um, and, you know, once again, structures need to be put into place. And this is what the meaning of fa'awa means, basically. Not only to comfort, but to place things in place that can cause growth. And when we think about zakah, that is the, 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 the duty of zakah. This is what, the, um, what zakah needs to do. It needs to improve and empower people. Now, um, then also if we look at uh, uh, the duty of the person giving, and um, we know that uh, when it comes to uh, payment, let's say for instance of Zakat al-Fitr in the month of Ramadan, uh, we're always thinking about, uh, you know, how much should I give? Uh, what was the latest numbers that came out? Uh, what was that WhatsApp? Oh, it's so much. Okay, I'm going to pay so much. But what does Islam say about, you know, giving? In a wholesale, what does Islam say about uh, you know? It, it, does does it does it? Uh, what what happens when you start to give more than you require to? Subhanallah. I mean, we have many examples of that in you know among the companions, and um, in, in when it comes to charity, more is always better. You know, there's there's a, a, a saying that they always say like you know you need to put your money where your mouth is, but in Islam we would say you put your actions where your heart where your heart is, and Subhanallah, that's that's what people need to do in this month of Ramadan. Um, don't only think about those figures that we find you know from various organizations saying this is the month for fitra, this is the month for fidya. Those are just guidelines, but actually go out there, see the need. Out 
out there. Um, and subhanAllah, you know, we're always saying, you know, there are many organizations and there are many issues. And so this is something that we should be thankful for. Because, you know, there'll come a time where we won't, find, we won't have any organizations to go to. Let's think about the opposite. What if there weren't a kaleidoscope of, you know, of organizations for us to go pay our zakatu and a masjid to take our zakatu fit, uh, you know, fitter to, right? So we have these organizations to make things easier for us. And also, it'll be a, um, like a hujja against us on the day of Qiyamah that, you know, if we hadn't paid it, you know, there were all these places for you too to be able to do that. So hasten towards doing it. And when you do it, do it in the best possible manner. Remember Allah subhanahu says, Qardan hasana, a beautiful way and a beautiful, in, in, and a beautiful amount in a presentation. So obviously we, can, we should give more. Sheikh, there's often a, um, a push from communities, or at least from individuals, to ensure that they dispense the zakat during Ramadan. And I know in Cape Town as well, there is a tradition to dispense the zakat during Muharram. Can you maybe, um, you know, just give us more details in terms of, is there a specific time that people can dispense the zakat, or is it something that can be dispensed throughout the year? I think, subhanAllah, you know, um, when, when it comes to zakat, um, zakat can be paid through, you know, throughout the year, depending on each individual's um, financial year. But when it comes to Ramadan, it's like a special time. So if you want to, if you feel that you want to give your zakah early for this year, right, then you then you can do so. Or if it's you giving in Muharram, right, you can, and you want to uh, make it earlier this year, you can do that. But I think you know, within Ramadan, it's a special time. You know, people, you know, our hearts are softened. Um, often, I remember my, at my days at Islamic Relief, people used to work out their zakah. And then after they say, okay, now I'm going to give more. I'm going to give double. You know, just because it's in Ramadan. And um, obviously just that intention, you know, that because it's the month of Ramadan, um, you know, the rewards are multiplied. So it's a perfect time for you to give zakah. And uh, just before we go any further, before we get into my, ne- my next question, I just want to break down. We, we spe- we've been speaking about orphans and vulnerable children and zakah, but uh, Shanath, why the distinction between orphans and vulnerable children? Um, I think in, just in terms of Islamic relief, the, um, they tend to assist orphan children um, either and also child-headed households, you know, where there are children that's either being um, looking after themselves because their parents have passed on. Um, in South Africa, we've got many cases where children, um, they are child-headed households as a result of HIV AIDS. Um, there's also instances where there are guardians or grandparents looking after those children and those households are vulnerable. So uh, we look over, we look at children over the you know over the broad spectrum of as orphans and vulnerable children, but it's also um, I think the developmental term for you know that sector of in society that's in need of assistance. So um, yeah, we tend to like just group and work with with uh, with rather under that banner. And the sad and scary part about it is that it's growing exponentially every year um, in terms of how many orphans we have, uh, how many how many childhood households uh, you know become become. Uh, pr- uh, become uh, prolific in, in our in our community but then also um if we if we sp- speak about orphans now and i want to i want to throw this question out to sheikh uh, we understand that uh, um in islam uh, st- orphans are given high status in the stage uh, particularly because rasulullah himself was an orphan so this gives an indication of uh, you know the fact that uh, as an orphan, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala elevated him, uh, and we take our we take our uh, cue from the fact that uh, we understand an orphan, the status of an orphan in society, to be one that uh, that uh, is close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Subhanallah. So, uh, from that perspective, when one 
uh, distributes uh, any kind of assistance and any kind of need. And we spoke earlier on about the fact that we want to uh, give that assistance firstly to the most vulnerable and, and those being orphans. How, how does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then, uh, by virtue of, 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 of this giving, how does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala look upon you when you look after those people, those that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has you know, placed in such high esteem? SubhanAllah, that's an amazing question. Um, you know, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for example, in Surah Al-Nisa, He gives us you know, a detailed description in how we should handle you know, an orphan at the different stages of their development. And uh, you know, if we, if we look at those stages, we can see how truly beautiful Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, um, you know, places those, those you know, those that, that development stages. Um, but Allah, uh, but the Prophet Muhammad mentions a hadith. Just to you know, answer your question, uh, the Prophet Muhammad says, "Ana wa kafil yatim fil jannati That uh, me and the, the 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 caregiver of the orphan will be in Jannah like these two and then he puts his two fingers together and you know you will be in jannah like you know with the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam you know as close as those two fingers so i mean you know th- this is what we're working towards we want to get there we want to get to the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam many of us like you know we all we try to dress like him speak like him um we learn every aspect of his life and here he's saying there's a simple solution to try to get to me if you want to be close to me just go out there and search and look for an orphan and you know, and give him the care that he needs. And subhanAllah, I remember in, at my days with Islamic Hadith, um, um, I, I didn't know that there were so many orphans in, in the Western Cape alone. Um, and you go to them and you, you know, you, um, whether it was for, 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 for the programs that we did, or whether it was for, for visits to, to, their, to their homes, um, and you see that the joy that they get just by you being present there, you being interested in their affairs, um, in how they're doing, they don't have the opportunities of people asking them how was your day, uh, or give them a packet of chips. You know, s- simple things like that. Um, let alone the bigger things that they need, whether it is for school fees. And I know Islamic Relief caters for that specifically. Uh, you know, for school fees, um, the, uh, the you know the day-to-day uh, uh, food and 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 so on. So I mean, these are things that we need to do as Muslims. We need to be at the forefront, you know, in giving care to these individuals. And also, um, when we talk about uh, those day-to-day things, uh, 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 when orphans, when orphans, uh, uh, you know, are put on the on the agenda, we did, we generally think, okay, let's just feed them. Subhanallah, that's all. Let's just give them food. Let's just make sure they're fed and they've got a place to sleep. But they're children like any other, and there's a lifestyle that needs to be maintained like any other child in your the child in your home. Mm-hmm. Anything that he uh, needs and desires uh, to complete his life in terms of education and everything else, orphans need that as well in order to develop and grow. So um, the importance of you know uh, making sure that uh, we uh, are equal and fair in terms of how we look at, 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 at orphans mm-hmm. in a sense. I, I, I know that um, Islamic Relief based one of their projects in, uh, in Osizweni mm-hmm. right, on, on, on that exact concept that, um, <coughs> you know, that, that a child is, uh, basically belongs to the community, not just to, not just to the parents or the, to the guardians, but to the community. And it's the community's responsibility to take care of you know, all the children you know, in, within that community. And uh, the Osizweni project is an amazing project. They, they, they care for about 500 um, orphans daily. Um, and not only orphans, vulnerable children as well. And um, you know, I remember there was a, dis- a, a big discussion that we had between orphans and vulnerable children, and that is because of the definitions given either by um, the the legal system in South Africa and as well as in Islam, where we define orphans b- with um, by the fact that the father has passed away, so they don't get all the rights necessarily if the um, if the mother passed away. 
But in a contemporary scholars have mentioned that even if any of the the the, the um the parents have passed away, that child will be classified as an as an orphan and be given all the rights, you know, by organizations and should be given the rights by society as an orphan. So whether the child's mother has passed away, and I mean, just imagine, like, you know, if you lost your mother, I mean, where would you be, you know, without a caregiver and so on? So these are things that we need to think about. Shanaz, also, um, uh, if we talk about orphans uh, under the wing of uh, the uh, Islamic Relief uh, South Africa, uh, can you get, maybe give us numbers on how many orphans uh, Islamic Relief might uh, assist or cater to nationally? I think what's mind-boggling for Sikh, and I think it's like such a crazy number, um, and I'm saying it's a crazy number because there's still um, approximately 3.9 million orphans in South Africa. 3.9 million orphans in South <coughs> Africa. And I think um, Islamic Relief globally, we um, sponsor more than 50,000 ch- uh, children at the moment, which is... Um, mainly orphans and vulnerable children from across the board in South Africa, in Syria, in in Palestine, um, Lebanon, Jordan. Um, And at the same time, there's also um, what was quite nice was that the 50,000th child that was sponsored by uh, Islamic Relief, um, I think it was the U.S. office, was actually from Cape Town. So um, that was quite a milestone for us to reach, and especially here locally, because we could actually share more information around just um, poverty and and the the, the the levels of poverty that um, is in South Africa. I think people, whenever they look to South Africa, they 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 think that it's a country that has um, hosted World Cup football, um, you know, tournaments and things like that. But at the end of the day, there is there is grave inequality, um, you know, on on a grassroots level. And um, the number of orphans that Islamic Relief is currently assisting um, in South Africa and its orphans and vulnerable children is in excess of 1,800 children. And it's between Cape Town, Johannesburg, and in Durban. And as uh, Sheikh rightly said, a lot of our projects are centered around our Osuzweni Community Center in Ennerdale. That's in the south of Joburg. But um, I think what's interesting is that it is purely a community-based project because you have people from the community that's been trained up through Islamic Relief and the various um, you know programs um, that they implement over there to become care workers and we found that it's better to actually have people from the from that very community where the child is being um, is growing up from so that the, they don't feel alienated when when outsiders come in to actually work you know within the center so um, it's a good community hub they are um, there's an aftercare and a daycare facility there is a primary school that's um, on the facility as well there is a clinic, there is um, a feeding scheme, and then at the same time we also support um, these families, and it's not just the orphan child, but also the actual household with regards to um, the um, basic um, necessities. So it's the schooling, the education, um, educational support, um, things such as uniforms and textbooks and stationery to actual school fees as well. And then they also receive um, a monthly food hamper to ensure that the household has food for the month. Uh, that, of course, uh, Shanaz Ibrahim-Giri. Uh, we are in the program Relief Network. Islamic Relief SA is uh, joining us this Monday morning. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll continue. But just before we do, there's a message that's come to Islam. I think if someone can start by donating to build a mosque in Naisna, will be a good start, as my husband was in Naisna when it was burning. And I told him to go to mosque, but then he told me that there isn't a mosque in Naisna, so he drove to Plittenberg Bay and then came back home safely. Alhamdulillah. Sheikh, a question has come through here. A person's asking, uh, must 
last week's answer. Our general zakah is compulsory to be zakatable for one full year. If not, would Ramadan be the best time to pay it? And I think what the person is saying is, do you have to wait for a year to elapse before you can pay your zakah? Um, um, I think we mentioned this earlier in, in the discussion when we, we said that you are allowed to pay your, the, the, uh, your zakah in advance So um, if you feel that in, Ram- in the month of Ramadan This would be an ideal opportunity for you to pay your zakah right, Then you can pay it now However, um, at the end of your financial year You just have to make, make sure that that is the amount And you don't owe anything you know, on, on your zakah still So um, if you feel that you want to give And obviously always give extra It's a good thing to give extra um, Then you can pay your zakah within the month of Ramadan It's a perfect opportunity um, I think, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's encouraging that we come to this time of year Where we become conscious of, um, you know, giving um, But at, at, at the same time also uh, I think that uh, with this, with this, with this, you uh, awaken a consciousness, you know, of of uh, paying us account time. Was it also appropriate then for us? Would it be appropriate for us to also then maybe split up the payment of zakat throughout the year? Is that possible? Like paying something, paying zakat monthly. A lot mm. of time, people say, you know, my, I maybe I don't have access to my money right now to be able to pay the full amount. Uh, is it is is it possible to do it like that? I I think the like um, monthly payments you know could be a really good idea because then you get um you know you, you get a feel that you know every month there's a there's a responsibility on me to pay that zakah you know essentially this doesn't take it, take anything away from paying your zakah in a once of um you know payment at the end of your financial year but um, just to get have that in the back of your mind that I have a responsibility you know and um, you know earlier we mentioned about orphans and we mentioned surah al duha. And, um, you know, that's a personal discussion between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You know, it's very personal. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, addresses him directly. And, and when it comes to orphans, this is also something that, that I found that was amazing within Islamic relief. Um, where if you join, you join up to the one-to-one, you know, orphan sponsorship, um, it's not just a, um, a number that you, you're paying. Right or uh, a, a statistic that you're giving your money out towards. In in actual fact, you get like a the, the child's name. Uh, you get a portfolio of the child. You get to you know know where the child is. Um, I think every year they give you uh, some feedback on how the child's doing in school. You know um, uh, what his life is like. So it's not just a. Um, uh, you know, person X, it's Ismail or Fatima, you know, or, you know, um, a, a name, there's a name attached to it. And I think that just makes it um, a lot more personal, so that when you think about the people that you're dependents that, are, that, that you're responsible for, that orphan is also one of those individuals. And um, I think by now, each Muslim in South Africa, you know, if you are by the means still, you know, you should be an, an orphan sponsor. I think you know that's appropriate because I don't think it's meant to be a nameless, faceless donation. Mm. Um, as Muslims, we need to understand because we need to identify the need within our community. We need to go out. We need to see these people physically. So uh, it, it's important, I think, that this gesture of you know keeping in touch so that we can see the progress and at the same time also conscientizes us to the impact that we have when we pay our zakah, when we pay, uh, when we give us our lilla or our sadaqah. You know, we we always left with you know we always get these WhatsApp messages of people dying and people suffering and so on and we, and, and we feel sad and um, but we don't always do anything about it 
And, and I think also we become a little cynical sometimes because we get so many of these messages that sometimes you know, it doesn't feel good insensitive to it. So, you know, uh, when someone says, oh, you know, 100,000 people died, it's like, oh, you know. Oh, let me go to the next message. Let me go to the next message. Yeah. So this brings it home and, and we realize the impact, uh, you know, that uh, uh, social challenges uh, ha have within our community that, that facilitates the need for us to pay uh, zakah and the fact that there are so many orphans. I mean, Janaz mentioned the number of three points. What? Nine million. Three point nine million. That is staggering. Mm -hmm. That is that is a fraction of this population yes. that are comprised uh, of orphans and, and vulnerable children. But but we can look at it at three point nine million. You know, um, uh, vulnerable children out there, mm -hmm. right? And and feel sad and just like you new know, depressed. Or we can look at it three point nine million opportunities to get close to the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu And I think we need to look at it in that way. You know, we need to be constructive. And this this is what the, the this is what zakah is about. It's about empowering people. Um, you know, and and, and and if you look at the, the simple things, like we mentioned earlier, the, the simple things. Um, a few days ago, I was looking for a school for my kids to place my kids in, and you know, we went hunting from school to school to find out where we can put them. And if if I think about it now, imagine, you know, um, because we obviously we want the best for our kids. What about those individuals out there that they don't have anyone to go looking school to school, you know, to find a, a good school for them so they can have a better future? We're speaking to Ibrahim Charles, uh, uh, looking at uh, looking at uh, the South African uh, situation that we find ourselves in uh, with regard to uh, our orphans and vulnerable children, and how we can implement, uh, you know. Out as a cow in a meaningful way, uh, subhanallah. Then uh, we've got another message here. Some, someone says, Mashallah, what a beautiful angle to view the situation from. Uh, and this one says, Mona, if one is looking at a public ordinary school, please contact your closest district office ASAP, inshallah. I mean, well, anyway, coming back to uh, uh, the Islamic Reliefs, uh, you know. Uh, should I say projects that uh, are run in this month and obviously concurrently throughout the year, uh, looking at orphans and vulnerable children? Maybe we just want to touch on that uh, broadly uh, for this last segment, uh, Shanaz. Um, well, Islamic Relief this month, obviously, we've been distributing food hampers um, before Ramadan and um, actually throughout Ramadan, um, and we've done distributions in Lesotho, in Zimbabwe, um, in Johannesburg, Durban, and Cape Town. Um, and then there's also been quite a bit of um, ongoing support for orphans and vulnerable children through our one-to-one -one orphan sponsorship program. Um, I'm actually, I've just, um, you know, asked the guys at the office just to confirm that monthly amount. But if people log on to our website, um, that's www.islamic-relief.org.za. And um, under the orphans page, you'll actually find more information with regards to our specific, um, you know, orphan sponsorship program. And I think it's it's a monthly amount between I think five and seven and seven hundred rand a month, and that basically covers the cost of, um, you know, the, the the food supply for the household, um, any educational support that's needed, also any health support that the child or the household would need. Um, and what's nice is that when, it, for example, with the educational back to school program that we ran, it's not only the orphan child that the sponsored child that gets support but also the additional siblings in the household as well so um, that's just around um, orphan support we also do um, quite a bit of other projects when it comes to for example um, water sanitation and hygiene whether it is awareness workshops we also um, implement or install boreholes and water wells locally in South Africa and also in East Africa and I'll share some more information about that in the second hour of this program 
Um, and then um, just, uh, you know, other disaster response um, initiatives that we do. Uh, we've got a partnership with the South African Red Cross Society. And over the past week, we've seen them on the ground in Neisner and in the Western Cape over here in areas that's been affected by the Cape Storm. So uh, we, a lot of our initiatives has been, um, you know, initiated through our partnership with the Red Cross um, Society. Um, at the moment, we are um, doing blanket distributions in, in areas, you know, where they are so many people affected by this cold front over here in the Western Cape. Um, and then we also do quite a bit of work um, abroad, whether it is emergency response work or um, setting up development programs, uh, whether it is in East Africa, in Syria as well. So um, as part of this global organization, we've got a very, very large footprint. Um, and it's just um, every day it seems to be a much more exciting and different day at the office. Uh, I think uh, then also uh, just come bring it back and contextualizing it and putting the call out there once again. Uh, and I want to go back to uh, Sheikh Ibrahim because I think he, he's a great motivator. Um, <laughs> when, we, when we talk about, uh, you know, uh, paying our zakah, paying our fitra and, uh, you know, motivating people to do it early and to do it on time and to make sure that uh, they, they uh, you know, dispense with this amount at, uh, timelessly, um, you know, the, the rewards and benefits of doing it. Um, and I think we've sp spoken about it broadly, but the rewards and benefits of doing it, and also uh, the drawbacks of not doing it on time. Well, uh, Subhanallah, you know we, um, you know, we, uh, one of my favorite ayat in the Quran, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, says that we not, will not attain righteousness not until we give what we love, um, and it's not just. Um, and not always just money, it could be time, you know, it could be effort. And uh, subhanAllah, you know, with all the, the resources that we have at our disposal, Muslim community, you know, we should be at the forefront, you know, leading by example. Um, other people should be looking at us and saying, you know, wow, man, I want to be exactly like them. This is what we should do. Um, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And that whatever we give, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is aware of, of our efforts that we've you know, put out. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows what we do and what, what our capabilities are. And um, once again, it's the month of Ramadan. We have last few moments within this month. Uh, we should definitely make the best of it. Um, and uh, you know, um, Shanaz mentioned earlier that you know people tend to you know give in Ramadan. Everyone's giving. Everyone's doing something in Ramadan. And then as soon as Ramadan's done, you know it's it's done. You know the, all those actions are done. But instead, Ramadan needs to be a play, a time where we where we grow as individuals. We get close to the Quran. We find out all these beautiful ayat, and we say, "Whoa." I need to change my life. I want to be exactly like this. I want to be that example. And then continue that to, throughout the year. So I think, you know, by taking, um, by um, signing up for a program like the Orphans Program, which is one of my favorite, the Islamic Reliefs, um, you know that you're putting that responsibility on yourself, you know, for the rest of the year. It's not just a once-off thing. And I think once you put your, your heart to that commitment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be committed to you as well. I mean, inshallah. What a beautiful way to round up uh, this show. And uh, let's hope we take heed of it uh, in the sense that uh, let's, let's not look at, uh, at it so much as an obligation, but as a desire that we want to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and find mm -hmm. means of doing that, whichever way, which, which, whichever form they take, inshallah. I mean, Sheikh, uh, uh, all the best. Uh, Shukran so much for joining us uh, this morning. I want to say this evening. I don't know why. <laughs> I think I'm used to, you know, crawling around at night. <laughs> 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 crawling around at night instead of during the day. 
but uh, nonetheless, all the best, uh, and uh, yeah, we we'll chat soon again, inshallah. Jazakallah khair and Ramadan Kareem to everyone, and I uh, hope you have an, uh, the, a beautiful last 10, 10 days and 10 nights, and may you have Eid Mubarak, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. In studio with me, co-hosting Ashanaz Ibrahim Giri, and uh, we are now going to be chatting to Umair Hassan of Islamic Relief, uh, and he is the head of emergency operations in East Africa. Uh, we are obviously uh, speaking to him live uh, from uh, Nairobi in Kenya. He's just come back from South Sudan, and he'll be outlining some of his experiences there. And we'll be talking about uh, the needs in the region, the situation on the ground. Um, Umair. Asan, assalamu alaikum and welcome to VSC. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa and thank you for having me here. It is a pleasure indeed. Um, Umair, obviously, uh, you know, it's this, the time of the year, the month of Ramadan, uh, we, we become acutely aware, uh, you know, of uh, the situation uh, outside of the borders of South Africa because um, during the month of Ramadan we become conscientized uh, and uh, the, the human, humanity, I think, humanity increases in, in, in individuals as we become aware that, you know, there is a growing need uh, in the world. Uh, from, from your perspective, you've just come back from South Sudan and uh, we know constantly, whenever you open up the pages of, of of a newspaper or you go online and you read articles related to uh, you know the situation particularly in East Africa there's always this um, sense that you know uh, there's, uh, uh, there's this extreme poverty there's extreme you know drought in the region um, you know climate change has has, has uh, impacted significantly on the landscape um, but obviously it's sort of kind of uh, sort of uh, on the back burner in the sense the media doesn't really play too much into it. There's not much attention given broadly uh, to, to, to the situation, the crisis there, unless, you know, the media doesn't have anything else to cover. Um, from your perspective, and uh, just to start off with, uh, would you say that, um, you know, the, the crisis as it is represented in the media, um, would you say that that, that, it's, that is not the full scope of, of the situation as you have experienced it on the ground? Yeah, um, as you rightly pointed out, that the media, uh, you know, also portrays and plays an important part in raising awareness um, across uh, the all the segments of society. Uh, but it could do so much with with the, a lot of um, other news items um, there. So if you go on the ground, I've been in uh, Somalia for a month, and then now just two weeks in in South Sudan, and. Um, the situation is much worse, um, and, and you know I do not have stories from Ethiopia, which is already talking about uh, you know around eight million people food starved, uh, needing a food assistance, and the food is running out in a month's time uh, from WFP and other humanitarian organisations. So uh, there is massive warnings across the region, um, particularly um, in, you know in Ethiopia, in Somalia, South Sudan, South Sudan. Uh, there is a bigger, uh, you know, problem uh, on the horizon where, uh, you know, the economy is, is, you know, very, very low. It is struggling big time. Um, since the last uh, year, uh, you know, the insecurity has increased um, across the country and most part in, uh, you know, also affecting a lot of businesses in Juba uh, and other areas which are the mainstay of the economy. Uh, and then uh, because of this, um, the you know the, the dollar rate, uh, the, the currency has devalued uh, from three um, South Sudanese pound to 156 Sudanese pound against the dollar, um, which speaks volumes of, of what people are struggling with. 
um, you know, the, the prices have gone, uh, you know, there is a hike in the market, uh, simple uh, things are not available. Then on the top of that, there is uh, insecurity, there are fights, there are no easy routes to reach out to different areas, um, road access uh, for normal people and for for common person and for humanitarian agencies, it, it has almost uh, rendered, uh, you know, not, not, not usable. Uh, and then if you go out, and I went to Kapurita, which is from uh, Equatoria, uh, or towards the Kenya South Sudan border, and, and you see the humanitarian human suffering uh, there, where people have not received rains for three years, um, and then uh, even this year there are no rains whatsoever to report. There's no uh, food stocks available. People have been displaced in massive numbers from uh, one area to another, uh, and then they have not eaten for weeks. So some of the people I've met, uh, and then I have worked in. Uh, 10, 12 countries uh, before, I've been to 15 or more countries, I've never seen suffering of that scale in any country or any particular area where people are really uh, coping with eating grass uh, and plants. Uh, and then they've shown it, uh, they, uh, you know, there, it's not making up anything. So, you know, human suffering, it, it's, it is, uh, you can't even imagine. So we, we, we talk about Ramadan, Sahur, and then Aftar, and eating two, twice a time. And I think there are people who do not eat for two, three uh, days at all. And then if they eat, uh, you know, this stuff, and the water sources, I, you know, I can't talk about water. So what kind of water they're um, uh, drinking, it's clearly resulting into spreading of uh, cholera, acute watery diarrhea, uh, you know, children dying uh, under age, uh, uh, age of five, uh, like anything. And every week we get cases, uh, the hike in one region and the other region and the third area. Um, so, you know, if you look at the situation, is very much worse. Uh, than what media is been talking about. Now, um, if we if we take a look at uh, the drought crisis once again, um, and uh, if we look at uh, what Islamic Relief has been trying to do uh, in the region, uh, how, how does one begin to address you know um, the, the situation there, knowing that um, this the, it's so widespread? We now see more than 16 million people on the brink of starvation, and and that's quite closely linked to access to water because. Uh, you know, in an, an environment where there's mass poverty, you need water to grow crops, and also in, in order for you to, to have food. And if in, in a drought-stricken environment, as you mentioned, people are literally eating grass uh, and, and, and shrubs and whatever else they can get their hands on. How does Islamic Relief try to address that and try to, uh, you know, um, kind of uh, bring some relief in, 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 as far as water is concerned? We know in South Africa we're experiencing a little bit of a drought at the moment. We've had a little bit of rain, but it's not on the scale uh, that we find there where water is literally, you know, it can it has become a would become a commodity in the, in the country. Yeah, um, actually, just to on the numbers, I think we we are talking about more than 19 million people now. So the you know the numbers are getting outdated every month, um, unfortunately, and then because of that, so the number has increased because of the. Um, the, the rains have not really come up. They, they are, there were rains, everyone reported that, but they were sporadic, they were very few, and they could not make any uh, impact in, in, in the lives of the people, particularly with the crops and all of that. Um, you know, in terms of Islamic Leaf, we have divided our uh, intervention in 
the, the phases. So the emergency, which is life-saving phase, because that is the most uh, important priority for people. So uh, reaching, them with, uh, reaching to them with food, uh, that is top priority. Uh, where possible, where you do not have any drinking water, getting to them with uh, water crap. We have done uh, you know, water crapping for a month or two months where required, and even continuing in, in IDP camps. Uh, and, uh, you know, as we move along in the third, uh, third month, uh, fourth month now. So uh, th- that is uh, one thing. But then at the same time, in rural areas, we're also, um, you know, repairing uh, or, or restoring water wells to ensure that people have access to that. So it's deepening uh, the, the uh, excavation for the water levels. We, we are able to reach out to the water levels. Um, and then also what treating water. So, you know, most of the areas water is not drinkable or usable. So what you do is, is, is you treat water at the household level. You do orient the people on using the water and making sure that if they get food, uh, how they best use it to avoid uh, cholera, acute watery diarrhea and other diseases uh, which are communicable and then killing people uh, like anything in Somalia, South Sudan and even Ethiopia. So, uh, you know, th- these are the things which we have done. We are now uh, moving towards helping people for, you know, particularly in rural areas with crops uh, where there was uh, rain. So at least there is a bit of uh, re- recovery uh, and an early sort of rehabilitation done in some of the areas. But most of the people are already all still requiring food assistance uh, and, and, and water access to water, which we will continue to do. Uh, you know, until uh, August, September at least, and we will see and evaluate ourselves until then. I'm joined and co-hosted by uh, Shanaz uh, Ibrahim Giri online. We still have Umair Hassan, Head of Emergency Operations in East Africa for Islamic Relief Worldwide. He's just come back uh, recently from uh, South Sudan, and he's seen the magnanimity of the crisis, the uh, or the enormity of the crisis. They uh, obviously speaking about uh, the uh, famine that's gripped the country, uh, the lack of access to um, you know, drinkable water. And also you've spoken about some of Islamic Relief's uh, initiatives to try and, 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 and bring a little bit of relief to, to the people in that region. Uh, uh, Umair, just on, on a final note before we let you go, um, if we look at uh, uh, the impact that uh, this, this, this crisis had uh, broadly within uh, the region of South Sudan, we, if we look at the, fa- the, the fact that you know drought has really, really gripped the country, um, then we also have to look at maybe the political situation and uh, obviously we understand that uh, whenever we travel into these regions of, of Africa uh, we find that there might be a certain level of you know conflict uh, we find that uh, relief agencies are challenged uh, when trying to deliver aid um, has this been the same for you in the area yeah, again, as, as you've rightly pointed out, um, I think uh, the security and, and the political situation hasn't helped, uh, and it has aggravated the situation. So, uh, you know, access is a major problem in South Sudan. Uh, we were going to distribute food and non-food items where we did the assessment uh, back in April. So uh, from April, May, June, uh, it's already two and a half months that we are waiting for the road clearance uh, to go and distribute food. And then that is the story in most of the areas. Uh, and then it's a struggle. Uh, and then all the food uh, is coming out from the across the borders. 
um, so in from Uganda and Kenya, and then reaching to those areas is, is getting very difficult every day. So uh, political uh, situation obviously uh, a, a you know um, a solution um, for the people, uh, to, and then particularly and also if you would to do humanitarian assistance, security situation and access to areas have to improve significantly. Uh, we are now forced to divert our assistance to another area. Um, and, and so we, we feel really uh, that where we did the assessment, we feel that they did need, uh, we cannot reach out to those areas. And although they, you know, where we are diverting our assistance to is still the areas where the need is huge. Uh, but again, I think they would be left, the people would be left out of assistance uh, just because of insecurity and excess, uh, lack of access for humanitarian uh, agencies. So it's, it's a major problem for uh, South Sudan, and, and, and until the political situation improves, uh, security situation stabilizes, um, we would unfortunately see these situations repeated again and again. Uh, Umail Hassan, Head of Emergency Operations in East Africa for Islamic Relief Worldwide. Thank you so much for joining us uh, this uh, morning and uh, uh, hope you that you have a blessed Ramadan further, inshallah. Thank you. Zakum al-Khair, my pleasure. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Of course, uh, uh, Umair mentioning the you know the challenges in, in in delivering aid to that part of the world. You know, with the uh, political uh, uh, crisis uh, that that uh, is is found in that region uh, and the dangers of traveling. Um, Shnaz, you've been uh, to East Africa and you've seen this firsthand. Just maybe talk about your experiences uh, moving through particularly South Sudan, as we're on the topic at the moment. I think we had some difficulty in terms of um, just movement because the one, especially as a foreigner, you're not allowed to move without any sort of military escort. Um, in, for example, in um, Somalia, for, I, when I went to Somalia, we actually had um, soldiers that was, you know, uh, working with us because we couldn't move. We couldn't uh, drive on the roads beyond five o'clock in the afternoon. So we had to pull off and like park in the nearest town wherever we were in. And I think it just, um, you know, talks to the level of security um, or at least the challenges around security in that region. We know that um, on the northern border of Kenya and Somalia, there's issues with regards to Al-Shabaab as well. And the, we've been, um, at least I attended meetings where we were actually told, you know, um, there's certain ro- roads that takes you into perhaps a ret- re- uh, refugee camp like Dadaab. And um, there's some areas on that road that is like a, a tie prone, it's like prone, f- you know, to either hijackings or, um, you know, some sort of, um, you know, dangerous, you know, actions and stuff. So um, there's also, there was also an issue of pirating as well. But um, it was actually very difficult. I mean, as, as, as a woman, um, just traveling through that part of Africa is not very, very easy. Um, we were told, I mean, in Nairobi itself, I mean, I, I was stationed in Nairobi, and from there we moved into, we traveled into different areas to capture, you know, case studies and stories. We were told in an area where our officers were based, aid workers were being targeted, and this was for petty crime, and they, they said, look, there were actually, um, there were these um, guys work, there were syndicates on the, on the uh, you know, in the area, targeting aid workers specifically because we our offices are based is an area where most of the NGOs are situated as well. So we were told like after three, four o'clock in the afternoon, try not to walk, you know, in these rows or in this area or try and actually be escorted. If you're taking a taxi, for example, make sure it's an, it's an Uber or it's from a reputable company so that they could actually track 
your movements as well. But relatively speaking, I mean, alhamdulillah, I had a pretty um, exhaustive, you know, a few weeks um, in East Africa, but it was also relatively safe. For NGOs like Islamic Relief, um, working in an area that's been um, severely affected um, by instability and conflict, they actually have... um, um, how can I say security updates on a regular basis? So they work with the United Nations. Uh, they work with security organisations that um, work sp- specifically with um, NGOs in the region, and we get um, constant updates in terms of you know where there are security issues and concerns. We were supposed to travel into South Sudan um, over one week um, to do some work and training over there. <coughs> Excuse me. And we couldn't. We were told within 24 hours of booking the flight and getting, you know, ready to leave that we can't go because there's a military coup that's about to take place. And for us, it's a matter of saving um, saving lives first, but also taking safety precautions first as well. So in most instances, when there was a security risk um, that we were alerted to, we would often, you know, um, you know, on the side of caution and you know, not go in. And I think also uh, Umar mentioned that uh, he had to, they had to divert the relief as a result of a security situation uh, in the region as well. So it just speaks to you know the enormity of this, the uh, of the of the uh, situation on the ground. But also, I think you know this is a stark contrast. On the one side, you have this massive humanitarian crisis, and the other side, you have you know this 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 uh, this, this, this political unrest. And 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 yes. I think you know it's really a, a stark contrast, and uh, that that is drawn there. I'm speaking to co-host Shanazi Bramgiri, uh, speaking about uh, her trip to uh, to East Africa, and uh, this is where the focus lies. Um, I think uh, you know this situation is worsened by the fact that it is the month of Ramadan, Subhanallah, mm. and uh, you know at a time when uh, people are fasting and generally uh, we look forward to you know that 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 uh, morsel of food at the end of the day. There are people, Subhanallah, in parts of uh, Africa uh, who have to break their fast with grass and and shrubs and anything that they can get their hands on, drinking water that's completely unsanitary and unsafe and uh, bears the risk of cholera. Um, Shanaz, I mean, we've spoken about the security situation inside of uh, South Sudan particularly, but I mean, if we, let's, let's move to, you know, the morale and spirit of the people. Um, I mean, you've obviously engaged with people broadly as you were conducting your, you know, uh, your, your, your fact-finding mission in a sense. What is, you know, the, 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 the what, what has been the, the engagement with you know the ordinary uh, Sudanese uh, Sudanese person uh, you know and, and and how are they bearing you know this this burden of this crisis and how, how and uh, what are some of the stories that you can tell us you know firsthand I think um, firstly I was fortunate enough to, um, to be able to travel across the region so you're looking at areas such as Kenya mm-hmm. um, you're looking at um, areas like Mandera Wajir Dadaab and Dadaab has the largest um, the world's largest it's a refugee camp um, um, currently um, in Somalia as well. One of the things that I found amongst all of these communities, no matter how um, the, uh, you know poverty-stricken they were and how destitute they were, because um, in some areas there were no rain, as we heard earlier today. For three years, there's oh. been no rain in some in some parts of um, South Sudan. Um, I know a famine has been declared in a few states in South Sudan, and at the moment. Um, we uh, we're looking at Somalia as a pre-famine in in a pre-famine phase, but one of the things that was so heartwarming was the fact um, that people were absolutely 
so um, resilient around the conditions that they were living in. In some instances, um, a lot of people were still living within villages that, um, and it's mainly farming, um, like pastoral and agro-pastoral uh, f- um, farming um, communities. And we found that um, they, they tried their best to make a plan. Uh, whether it was moving the animals from one village to another village where there was water and there was livestock feed and having family members rearing those animals, um, that was one one aspect of doing it. Um, alternatively, we found that um, you know families then just basically um, packed up their children, packed up with a few belongings, and they moved from the village to the nearest refugee camp. One of the challenges we found was, though, that despite, um, I mean, I spoke to quite a few women, it's, because it's mainly women and children that's living in these refugee camps, and elderly people and um, physically disabled people as well. Um, a lot of men, we, we never found a lot of um, men in, in these refugee camps. But from the camps that I visited, we found that there was um, just, um, people were still very, very high spiritual, um, spiritually, because I understood that this was just a challenge um, that was, um, you know, sent by Allah, you know, for them. It's, it was another test. Um, in some instances, I mean, and I was actually sharing this with um, some of the staff members of here um, earlier on, there were some serious um, issues that we came across. There was issues with regards to health and sanitation. Um, one woman was telling me that she felt that she lost her dignity now that she moved to the refugee camp because there wasn't enough water to supply the entire refugee camp um, in such a way that they could bathe on a daily basis. So she said, you know, it was either a choice between drinking the water and drink, giving, giving my children clean drinking water or bathing. And we opted to rather give the children water because maybe we never had any food and I get to bath every two weeks. So um, there's no sanitation. People would think that there's latrines and there's like showers and things like that and there's nothing like of that sort. Um, these women and children live in a three by three meter hut that's actually made out of plastic sheeting and clothing and you know any sort of material that they had with them and that's where they are. There's no kitchen facilities or, or kitchen utensils. And we found actually that some of these refugee camps that's been popping up were not registered with the United Nations. So by not being registered with the United Nations, they were not able to access any of the additional support through the World Health Organization, such as um, immunization against cholera or getting food from the World Food Program. And these are where organizations like Islamic Relief has been trying to fill those gaps at the moment. And at the moment, um, locally, I mean, um, a, a lot of people have been asking me how can they actually make that difference because um, I've been talking a lot about East Africa. I've been on Voice of the Cape numerous times sharing my experiences and sharing case studies, you know, from people on the ground. And um, Islamic Relief is actually having, um, and because it's Ramadan um, especially, we're looking at areas not only in East Africa, but in Africa broadly. We're looking at South Africa, we're looking at Zimbabwe, at Lesotho. These are all areas that's been affected by poverty, that's been affected by drought. Um, and we're actually doing a um, live TV appeal on this coming Sunday at 10 o'clock in the morning. And we're appealing to Voice of the Cape listeners to please um, tune in. It's happening on um, ITV um, channel 347. And we're asking for um, you know people to pledge towards feeding a fasting family in Africa. And um, the support um, that we're basically trying to get in, the financial support um, at the moment is trying to actually make a difference in um, the lives of so many. Right now, at the moment, 
Sorry, as we heard, there's more than 19 million people that's in dying need of urgent food and water in East Africa alone. So um, I think it's 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 going to be quite a challenge. We're not trying to, um, you know, make the difference and reach full all 19 million because that's not realistically not going to be possible. But we're asking people to actually just donate whatever they can so that we can at least feed as many fasting people this Ramadan, inshallah. Inshallah. So that's happening this Sunday uh, on ITV. What time? It's starting at 10 a.m. in the morning, and mm-hmm. we'll be on for um, for four hours. Sure. So, um, inshallah, we're hoping that we'll get people to call in. Um, over the next few days, we'll be updating our social media and website pages with the necessary information as well. And if people would like to, I mean, um, obviously, these appeals are ongoing. Our offices are situated at um, Imam Harun Road, 396 Imam Harun Road. Uh, we have people there over the weekends as well and later on in the afternoons. So if you do want to make um, any sort of donation towards any of Islamic Release current appeals, whether it is um, um, in East Africa, locally in South Africa, Lesotho, Zimbabwe. Um, at the moment, um, we heard that uh, we had challenges in Zimbabwe. We had this over 600 families that's, that still requires um, some sort of support during Ramadan. So, um, you know, if you can sponsor food hamper for um, Zimbabwe or Lesotho, South Africa, you can go into um, the offices and, and, and make that um, um, donation. And then also, obviously, our ongoing um, campaigns um, is running in Syria as well. So, um, and we're trying to support families um, in conflict zones as well. In Yemen as well, we know what challenges are being experienced in those parts of the world. So, um, please, if you can, um, you know, make that appeal or make that donation, please do contact our offices in Lansdowne. And then, um, you know, we can share the necessary information with you. Inshallah. Online now, we have Nazreen English. She's the program's coordinator uh, in for the Cape Town Office of Islamic Relief. Nazreen, assalamu alaikum. Nazreen, can you hear me? I can hear you. Like, Assalamu alaikum. Alhamdulillah. And yourself, uh, how's, how's, how's your Ramadan been thus far? My Ramadan has been great. It's been very, very good for me and for you. Alhamdulillah. I must say, it's just gone very, very fast. Subhanallah. Uh, Nazreen, we're profiling you today uh, we, and your role within uh, Islamic Relief. Uh, so, uh, first of all, um, tell us, you know, uh, what... what uh, what exactly the program's coordinator uh, for the Cape Town Office of Islam Relief, what, what, what does that job entail? Um, it entails a lot of things, but basically the program's coordinator, um, um, we basic, I basically see to everything. If I say everything, I'm talking about our one-to-one, our children that we have onto the system. Hmm. If we do a distribution, I set up the distribution, I go into the field, I go to the families, I keep the center where I can distribute. Um, the same way about our office as well, if we need parcels, whatever we need, I will basically just coordinate everything from A, B, C, D, and then we will have the package. So when we talk about uh, you know coordinating the various projects uh, that Islamic Relief uh, locally and in Cape Town uh, is is running, uh, take us through then you know um, how uh, if a new project comes you know uh, it, it comes to the doorstep of Islamic Relief here locally, mm-hmm. um, uh, how, how do you then how do you then decide uh, how much resources you'll be plowing into that and and, and how uh, and how much effort will be going into getting that on, on off the ground. Okay, so um, look, basically, if a new project comes to us and um, they come and they say, this is how we do it to area, um, we will basically go into the area first. That's the first thing we go. Go into the area, find out 
if the need is there for that particular project that this person is coming to us. That's the first thing we need to think of. You know, and you can't come in and say, okay, I want to give a borehole to, um, your example, Cape Town. I'm just making an example. We can't just take that. We need to go into Cape Town. We need to find out if the need be, how is it going to serve your people, um, is it going to be central for both sides or four ways, whichever way Cape Town is. So that's how, that is how we do it. Okay. 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 And then also, um, you know, in terms of your job, you you tend to because you're going out into the field a lot, you you get to touch base with uh, the Cape community and the need that is yes. there. Um, what would you say are some of the greater you know needs or, or some of the more, more urgent pressing needs within the community that you've come to identify uh, with your work in in in, in uh, Cape Town? Okay, the first thing in Cape Town, um, it is um, our education for our children. Our education is really bad in terms of, for, for our children. They, they won't complete school, they don't know how important it is, and from uh, the needs that I've experienced in the community itself, um, our schools, it's, it's not so great with our kids. If I say that we have a lot of kids that um, have certain issues with learning disabilities, an example, learning disabilities, Okay. Most of our schools are not equipped to pick up that learning disability of that particular child. And because of that, the child gets um, um, left and lacks on his work. And because of that, it's got a lot of things. It all breaks down to the point where the child will drop out. So um, teaching for us, number one, for me, that I've, that I've experienced, um, gangsterism, heavy, heavy, lack of no jobs. And... It's, it's a lot of things happening, but for me, it's the education, it's the unemployment, um, it's the gangsterism, you know, it's, and the mentality that we have as well. Um, I, I can use an example of the, the certain areas that I call the forgotten areas, mm-hmm. because there's not a lot of um, help going into a certain community, so um, they don't really know where to go to. And, and then also, um, how do you manage duplication with programs? Because obviously we know there are certain other, there are many other uh, relief agencies uh, mm-hmm. operating in Cape Town and one wants to ensure that you get those services to those who need it most. So how do you manage, you know, the duplication of services uh, and make sure that, you know, you don't uh, over, uh, should I say, over, okay. uh, you, know, you don't double up in a sense? Mm-hmm. Okay, so can have something, all of us at least, um, the NGOs, it would be like other organizations, we will sit basically once a month we or once every second month. Um, whatever comes my way, I will send the list through to me, example, then there's Muslim Hands, other organizations, they will check for the duplication. We are in very close contact with each other. Let's put it that way. Okay, okay. That's, that, that, that is excellent. That is excellent. Um, now also, Nazreen, um, you know, uh, being part of Islamic Relief, what would you say is one of those most memorable, you know, uh, uh, s- scenarios or, or, or situations uh, that you've, you, that s- something that you've remembered, something that you st- still keep with you till this day in terms of your experiences in the field and, um, you know, the kind of relief that you've, that you've been able to, to, to roll out in the Cape community? Look, uh, I don't have a particular experience. All that I can say is, for me, I'm very pleased to work for Islamic Relief because um, I've seen 
and I know and I've experienced with the people that I've worked with already. So for me, um, there's nothing greater for me than to help help that person. Even um, you know, there's so a lot of people that just want to talk. Mm. They just want to talk. If you can go in there and sit with them and talk and understand and feel what they are going through, brother, I promise you, you'll never ever believe what, how, how, how it affects that person. Go in there and they just want to talk to you and they just want to let go mm. of what's happening and then you I'm blessed. I feel very blessed and very privileged to be able to do that. Nazreen, I want to say shukran to you so much. Um, may Allah bless you for you know the work that you do in the community. May Allah uh, make it a source of, uh, of 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 goodness in the dunya and akhirah, inshallah. And also, uh, may Allah make it easy. We know that there are many challenges within this community yes. and other communities uh, in in rolling out aid. I mean, it's never meant to be easy, uh, but mm-hmm. uh, uh, obviously we do the best that we can. And yes. uh, may Allah subhanahu wa taala grant you a blessed Ramadan further. All the best, inshallah. That was Nazreen Inglis, uh, Programs Coordinator for the Cape Town Islamic Relief Essay. We've been speaking throughout the hour about a trip to East Africa. And Shanaz, uh, um, you know, a question I posed to you during the break, and I want to pose it to you now again uh, for the benefit of the listeners. You know, how do you keep it together? I mean, you've traveled through East Africa, you've seen, you know, the devastation that famine brings, mm. um, the lack of, 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 of resources in the country. You've seen, you know, what it does to people and what sacrifices they have to make for themselves and for their children. I mean, how do you, uh, how, how do you keep it together? I mean, uh, being someone who yourself, uh, coming from a country where we, there is that divide between, you know, the haves and the haves not the east poverty in South Africa but not at this scale um, I think what actually helped me a lot over this last three months that I've been obviously in the field mm. uh, more than anything else um, has been uh, my journalistic training mm. um, I think you know when it comes to journalism they teach you to you know share the story first and to actually look at um, and, and for me that's how I actually approach development um, journalism so to speak um, whenever I go into these areas and I capture case studies, no matter what sort of um, difficulty the case study or the beneficiary is currently in, um, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't kind of be sympathetic towards it, I believe that you should be more empathetic, but it's a matter of sharing that person's story. Um, I had incidences in refugee camps where we were perhaps interviewing like one or two people on, you know, two or three tents down, but then we had somebody screaming um, and wailing because perhaps the child became ill and in one and in one instance a child actually died and it's a matter of like you what do you do you can process it and like break down and as well but um, for some reason the first few weeks was very difficult for me because I saw some really really difficult situations and you know and to be in that circumstance without any sort of prior training would have been very difficult but I think um, having been in the field as a journalist previously and then also working with Islamic relief in other areas um, that actually helped me you know kind of like figure out you know what is important and how to actually take that story and to work with that I'm um, one of the things that I think journalists don't really get to do when they come back after a very traumatic um, experience is to do some sort of counseling or debriefing often it's about you know chasing stories so that you know, we can get, um, you know, meet the deadline first and to get the story out first. But then often we don't actually think about the post-traumatic stress um, that we suffer 
afterwards, you know, when we start processing the information and actually understanding that this is what I actually went through, you know, whether it's been now um, over the last week um, with the Nisner fires and being in the middle of all of that, um, you know, chaos. Um, so I am actually seeing, um, you know, seeing a, a counselor of sorts just to talk through the experiences and to process it. And for me, it's about processing and writing about it and then moving on, you know, to the next story. So I think it's quite encouraging for me to actually see that there's so many um, incidences, um, you know, that we have been able to report on accurately. And I mean, some of the case studies are available on the Islamic Relief website and Facebook pages. And I mean, if people want to know more, um, we're hoping to do some sort of feedback to the community on a broader scale after Ramadan as well, inshallah. So, inshallah. Um, yeah, they can just get in contact with us. And that website is www.islamic-relief.org.za if you want to find about, out more in, about any of the local projects or international projects. Obviously, the f uh, live pledge line on ITV, don't forget about that, on Sunday starting at 10 a.m., focusing on Feed a Fasting Family in East Africa. She has spoken broadly about uh, her trip there. Uh, once again, don't don't forget about that. That's starting at 10 a.m. on ITV. Uh, do donate uh, generously inshallah it's time for me to get out of here shukran to you shanaz for joining Have me fun. for this hour and allowing me to you know co-pilot with you inshallah so i speak to you again everybody wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh